Welcome to Deep Look, UltiWorld's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of UltiWorld, Charlie Eisenhood. Joining me, UltiWorld senior editor Keith Rayner. And it is time, it is time, we're in the midst of the 12 days of college Ultimate. It's time for our 2020 preseason college preview show. Hype, hype, hype. All, all about all about the hype train right now. I mean, because this is this is the time when the the takes are the least substantiated. So you're really putting yourself out on a limb there and saying, "I believe in this team based on what I know," and uh, let letting the chips fall where they may. Because uh, it's we're like not that far away from meaningful college ultimate. We're like six weeks away or something. Maybe less, less. less. Today, we record this on December 18th. Uh, in one month, it will be January 18th, of course. And one week after that, it will be the Santa Barbara invite. And so the, uh, I believe the first college tournament of the year is the weekend prior to that. So one month away, I believe Florida Winter Classic is. There you go. Yeah, I think I think the 18th is Florida Winter Classic this year. So literally one month. Um, yeah, and, and so it's, t- it's time to get ready to go. We want to give you some things to kind of think about over the holidays as you get ready for this college season. And, you know, we're going to be going over the big stories here for the most part. Of course, our college primers will be out next month. Those will really get more into the nitty gritty, dive into individual regions in a deeper way than we're going to be able to do today. Uh, But this is going to be a chance for us to talk about some of the big storylines and the top teams and some sleepers as well. Later on, in our subscriber-only segment, we're going to talk about some of the issues with all region and voting for all region. It's been a mess for a few years, and we we need to we need to fix it. So we're going to talk about what some suggestions would be uh, to get that worked out. So let's dive in here, and I think we should start with the big overarching question of like what is going to define this college season Keith what do you when you sit back and you just look at everything all together what do you see as the big stories this year in in the women's division I think there's a clear storyline and it's the a one two that may sound familiar which is UNC and Carlton they, they may sound familiar because it was a, a couple years ago in the men's division that we were like, Oh, it's, it's UNC and Carlton, right? They're, they're the, that's the matchup that we care about. Uh, it didn't really work out that way in the men's division that year. So maybe, maybe this women's narrative will not come to pass, but the preseason hype is all around these two teams. One's a semifinalist. One was a, a goal away from upsetting the national champions, the eventual national champions, UCSD in quarters. And, both teams return a ton of their talent. Both teams continue to recruit just outrageous, outrageous classes. So it feels a lot like with Dartmouth and UCSD, last year's finalists, both taking a step backwards with the graduation of some generational players. It's a UNC versus Carlton year. And, you know, I don't know if we'll get to see those teams at all during the regular season against one another. You know, maybe Stanford invite. Two teams will go ahead, Ed, maybe Northwest Challenge. Who knows? But uh, it feels like they're going to be the last two teams standing. And over in the men's division, uh, well, I, I would say there's one thing that's men specific, and then there's one thing that is kind of both divisions. Men specific, uh, a tremendous race for player of the year. This is as as good a year as we've had in a long time in terms of top talent you know, in those senior year, you know, junior, senior, fifth year slots. Um, we'll get into those players, but it's, I mean, picking a universe line, which we just published the universe line, 12 days of college ultimate article in the men's division was very difficult because you were having to cut players who you might consider to be starters on a U24 team. Um, and that is not something that happens every year. It's certainly not the case in the women's division this year. Um, but for both divisions, I think, big story, it is an incredibly deep rookie class. 
there are a lot of extremely talented players entering college this year. And, uh, you know, this is going to continue to be true because of the growing depth of high school ultimate. But I think this is like a high watermark year for uh, kind of like the, the the breadth of talent. You know, uh, there's a lot of really good players. We don't necessarily have the, um, you know, absolutely monster five-star player we've been watching for four years, like a Jack Verzu or a Liam Searles Bose in this class, but maybe that's not even true. I mean, we're going to talk about some of these players. Um, there is there are a lot of players who are going to compete for Rookie of the Year, so it's going to be exciting. Um, so those are the things that kind of stand out to me, Keith, and it's going to be a fun season. I think there's uh, there's a lot of question marks, and so why don't we talk a little bit about the contenders and you already mentioned them. Let's start with women's UNC and Carlton. What about those two teams makes them the clear front runners? Well, uh, you know, obviously UNC's success last year puts them in this position, especially considering what they're returning uh, a player of the year front runner in Ann Worth, who just had a tremendous club season to follow up after last year's great college season. Uh, and they return a lot of talent around them. Remember that they had a, a great freshman class last year. Uh, Don Colton, Ella Youngst, Sydney Raider. Uh, those players are all going to be getting better. Sure, there's some players graduating from this team. Uh, Rebecca Fagan among them, uh, Mary Rippe. But uh, they return a lot. I mean, Bridget Meisner, uh, Tyler Smith, once back from injury, uh, and a really deep group of players around them. They continue to recruit well. Uh, Teresa Yu, I think, is going to be one of their big rookies this year. Uh, they've built a, a deep program, well-coached, and they got that kind of experience of, of getting to the big game and not being successful last year. They may have the best player in the country, uh, at least you know, I think I think there's a very real chance of that. I think there's kind of a parallel race for player of the year between Ann Worth and, and Claire Trope from Dartmouth. Uh, but, I mean, it's hard to argue with what UNC returns, especially given how successful they were last year. I think Ann Worth is the clear front runner for player of the year. I, I, I don't know that I consider it a two-person race right now. Obviously, Claire Trope's a tremendous player, but I don't think Dartmouth's going to be good enough this year for her to win. Ann Worth, I think, would have been the favorite anyway, but, but because of the fact that I expect Dartmouth to take a step back, I don't expect them to win the Northeast. Uh, I think that Dartmouth's still probably going to go to nationals, but they, we saw it last year. They're so top heavy. And of course they lose Verju. So that makes a big difference. And uh, you know, how does that team step forward from here? I, I mean, obviously the, the, I guess the argument for trope is that she's going to have a ton of touches and, and be doing everything. But I don't expect that same level of focus because I think Ann Worth is going to be on just a much better team. And I think that it will position her as the favorite, but I mean, Tropis has such a strong reputation. I, I think you may sell Dartmouth a little short. I mean, I they their region is going to be super competitive. This is definitely a year in which they might not win it, but I feel fairly confident that they'll be able to make nationals. I think they'll still be a very, very competitive team. Uh, with her and Carolyn Tornquist leading the way, they're one of the duos that we featured in our 12 days of college. But um, I think you're going to continue to see them be a strong squad. Uh, so I wouldn't write Dartmouth off yet. If they make it to quarterfinals led by trope, I mean, I could see it, you know, especially given how deep UNC is, you know, if UNC, let's say gets upset in semifinals or loses in semifinals or something like that, I can see this, this, coming to pass where it's, it's those two against one another. I don't know who else is going to emerge from the, from the field. Uh, so I, I do think Ann Worth's going to be the favorite, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough to pick out really in a lot of ways that the, the, what the number three is in women's, whether you're talking about the players or, or teams. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm Go gonna ahead. Tell you right now. It's Ohio state. People not talking enough about Ohio state right now. I know Sadie Jazerski is gone, but Emily Barrett had a huge season last year, 
a tremendous club season. And Car Sieber is back as well. That duo, on top of an already very solid team, I think can lead Ohio State to championship contender status, not just, you know, a distant third. I think this team is for real. And I'm going to be really interested to see how they perform in the post Jazerski era. Obviously, Sadie had a lot of touches, a lot of volume, but they have some really good players who I think are ready to step up into bigger roles, even than they already had last year. They returned two All-Americans. Not not many teams can say that. Uh, they've got some depth pieces around them that I think we can see step up into bigger roles like Madison Fleming. Uh, so yeah, I think Ohio State's going to remain good. I think it'll take a little bit of getting used to figuring out how to play without a couple of really key handlers in particular. You know, is Sieber ready to be one of the primary throwers on this team? That's 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 a fair question. I, I, I'll be interested to see how they develop. I think they're probably a little further behind those other two teams than you might be projecting. Uh, but another team that I'm really interested in is Colorado mm. for a number of reasons. Uh, they returned a bunch, a bunch of really strong fifth years. Emma Capra's back. Rachel Wilmoth's back. Uh, Riley Swift, I think, had a really strong year last year. She was growing. She's not one of the fifth years, but uh, I think we'll see her in a pretty big role for them. Bailey Shigley. Uh, Bailey Shigley is one of the players I'm I'm riding for. I'm going to hitch my reputation to Bailey Shigley. <laughs> I think she's the real deal as a sophomore. And they have maybe the best recruiting class in the country, led by Stacey Gaskill and Sky Fernandez. And I think you're gonna a subplot of this season is going to be that even though I think last year's rookie class may be overall more talented, this year's may have a bigger impact because of how many big players left the division last year. So I think in general, it's a low tide for the total talent of the division. And that means that these rookies who stand out are going to be able to make a bigger impact than typically you would see. So I think that you're going to see players like Stacy Gaskill and Sky Fernandez who are already capable of being top level contributors stand out right away uh i you know i was talking in the slack uh for with, with some of our subscribers and our staff members and, and the like and there was a question about could a rookie win all american this year is that possible I, I really think so uh i think that there is opportunity for you know abby hecko at washington or Alyssa Earhart at carlton stacy gaskill at colorado uh i think there's a real chance and uh, to get back to the point, I think Colorado's got a lot of talent, uh, and I, I think it's going to be an up year for them. And it's an open open season. You know, there's the, there's a lot of room for tryout spots to be in the contender status. Let's look at the men's division. Uh, it's an interesting year because you have you have the top teams from last year, for the most part, taking a slight step backwards. Obviously, the national champion Brown loses Mac Hecht. They're still going to be a very good team, but I think most would agree that their ceiling is a little bit lower now that they don't have the best thrower in the division on the team. Um, and on the other side, you got UNC. Again, still going to be very good, but they lose some incredible players, Mago Johannes, you know, among them. And I don't think, especially from what we've, we saw this fall, I don't think the ceiling's quite as high. Still going to be good. Still going to be a championship contender, both of those teams. But they were a, a kind of above the rest last year, and I think they're now back down into the pack. And there's a lot of teams that I would consider to be in that pack. It's going to be an exciting college season. I, I mean, obviously last year, I don't know that anybody really expected Brown to be as good as they were and to really rise to the top. Uh, that could happen again with a team. It could be Brown. They certainly have enough parts returning that they're still going to be a very, very good team. You know, of course, John Randolph, um, but, you know, Saul Rushmeyer Bailey, they can know. They have a lot of high-quality players. And the thing is, you look at teams like, let's go through some, Colorado, incredible rookie class, Outperformed last year, made semis. Basically, they don't bring everybody back, but they have the large majority of their playmakers back, including multiple U24 players. Oregon, still going to be extremely good. Xander on Tice. Will Laurie coming off the ACL? He's going to be back. Uh, Washington, 
lost in pre-quarters last year, but I think is uncategorically better this year. They pick up Sam Cook from USC, who was, you know, one of the best players in the country last year. Big, big uh, offensive addition for them. Uh, they also pick up Tony Veneri, one of the top recruits coming out of high school. Um, and then you have other teams that are always good, like Pitt. Michael Ng, back for a fifth year. Uh, and and what about Carlton? I know they didn't make nationals last year, but this team led by Joe White is going to be extremely good again. They're, you know, the only reason they miss nationals is because Joe White went down at regionals. I think if he doesn't get hurt, they go to nationals and they probably go deep into the bracket. And so what is that team going to look like this year? Uh, there, there's a lot of teams on this list. And uh, I think we have to talk about as well when we're talking about contenders, I know this is a little bit of a left turn, but BYU, this is a top tier team that if they were to have the opportunity to compete for a championship would be in this conversation, if not at the top of this conversation. Is, if, if you had to decide right now, is BYU your preseason number one ranked team in the men's division? I have been really cagey about this <laughs> I know for a few weeks. Uh, but here is my answer. I will give it. And this is not the official college preseason power rankings. That is a team effort. But if you're asking me, Charlie Eisenhood, to tell you who I think the preseason number one is in the men's division, it is BYU. Yes. It is BYU. Set aside everything else and just think about who's the best team. If you're going to put teams on the field and go out and try to win a game today, BYU is going to be favored in every one of those games. I mean, they they mopped UNC at CCC. They were number three at the end of last season. They were the best team on the West Coast last year. They're only better. They didn't, they didn't lose anybody. The crazy thing is that they might even be better next year because most of their top players are juniors. This team is, is very good. And I, I think there's no evidence to support that they shouldn't be number one considering what we've seen from the teams that were ranked ahead of them last year. Um, to me, this is the, this is the best team right now heading into the season. Could they, okay. I'm, I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about this now. Let's say that, you know, BYU goes to warm up and they, you know, beat a couple of these teams that are contenders. They play at, uh, they usually play at Pres Day, right? Is that the the three day tournament where they can play uh, in two rounds? No, they uh, play warm up because warm up and Pres Day are usually at the same time. No, so they play warm up and they play Stanford the first day of Stanford usually, mm. and then they play first two days of Northwest Challenge. Northwest Challenge, that's what I'm thinking of. I knew there was a big West Coast tournament they play in. So, I mean, they're conceivably going to get shots at all of these teams. Is there a chance that BYU could finish number one? At the end of the season, despite another team winning in the national championship, yes. Wow. What I mean, what what more do you need to know? Again, this was the number three team at the end of last year. The teams above them are not as good, and BYU is better. That's all you need to know. It's totally feasible. Now it's hard. I mean, I. People are going to be taking their shot. They're going to know BYU is a good team. They're going to come into those games trying to beat them. And it's hard to go out there and win all of your games during the regular season. And so, I, you know, BYU even lost a couple games they shouldn't have lost last year. So whether that will actually happen, I don't know. But all signs point to that being a very realistic possibility. I mean, that's their national championship, right? I mean, if you're BYU... And you know you're not going to get a chance to play in the postseason. I mean, I think to, for them, being number one in the power rankings slash or the USAU rankings is probably essentially winning the title for them. I really hope that we get a clean answer here. Like, I, I hope that like Carlton doesn't win nationals and BYU didn't play them or something. I want I want a clean answer. It would be sweet. I mean, I, I think we're going to continue to see the pressure on USA Ultimate to find a solution to get them in nationals. Uh, that's only going to increase as they now step into a two-year window where they're going to be a top five team 
pretty much uh, without question. So anyway, I don't want to sit and talk about BYU the whole time. Keith, your thoughts on the uh, depth of contenders this year? I, I love it. Um, I, I think I think you're sleeping on you. I think you're selling UNC a little bit short here. Uh, but you know, I, I think that we there's a lot of reason to believe in a lot of these squats who are returning a lot and the, you know, Colorado, they're losing some key pieces from last year, I think, but they, the new pieces they're bringing in are going to be able to replace a lot of that production. Uh, Pitt, Carlton teams that I think we maybe thought could have been semifinalists last year. Didn't came up a little bit short, but so much is back for them. Uh, I, I think it's an open field because there really is no team that feels heads above. Uh, and, it's going to make for hopefully an exciting season. Now, I, I misspoke earlier when I was talking about women's and I said that it was a couple of years ago we were thinking it was a UNC Carlton uh, race to the finish. That was last year in men's. <laughs> I forget all the way that back Well, it's in, been a couple of years in men's that we've been saying that. But last year really was like, it felt like it was there, those two teams. That's and true. B- b- before did, Brown burst onto the scene with their warm-up performance, that is right. Yeah, and then you know, slow started to make make some noise on the, on the West Coast, so it started to feel like okay, maybe there's some other other teams in the mix here. But when we went into the year, we thought it was Carlton and UNC, and everybody else was was a, a distance away. Uh, so, you know, maybe we get the wrong read here. Maybe maybe this maybe we're a year early on that. Uh, you know, I don't know, but uh, I'm very excited to see what happens in this men's division because. It does feel like there's a real mishmash of teams, and the regular season is going to be really meaningful and starting to to parse out which of those teams are are real are for real. And there's some sleepers that we didn't even get to who you know could surprise us come come through the season. Well, let's talk about some sleepers. You want to you want to take us through some of the teams that you're looking at as potential candidates to to make that semis run or to be that team we're not talking about right now. Yeah, uh, l- let's look at a couple of teams that that were pretty good last year and have a lot of reason to be good again. How about Texas out in the South Central? 100%. I, I mean, this is a team that was good last year. I think maybe better than people had anticipated and brings back a lot of the talent that maybe was unrecognized coming into the year last year that left them, you know, maybe underrated when we started the season. But now, uh, you know, they get a healthy Noah Chambers back, hopefully. Matt Armour's back. Uh they get Matt Chambers, who was one of the best rookies uh, of last season. And then they, a, a bunch of guys whose names like maybe you don't know, but who were really involved for them last year, whether that's Jake Sames or Gage Edblom or Brian Street, uh, Sebastian Lawsey. I mean, these are players who were out making plays for them last season. And I think I think the people who were sleeping on them last year probably need to wake up this year because they could be a real contender. I think they are going to be a very, very impressive team this year. Uh, it's going to be a battle, as it often is. But, you know, I think Colorado and Texas are both really high-quality teams. It's going to be a battle for the region. And I could see both of those teams. I feel, like, confident both of those teams are going to make quarters. And who knows? Semis definitely a possibility for both teams. Um, you know, Texas more about their kind of like their top end Colorado, maybe a little more impressive because of the depth that they have given the very impressive uh, rookie class that we'll talk about. Here's another couple teams that I think are maybe going under discussed NC state who looked quite good in the fall, despite playing without some of their top playmakers. I think they're a perfect candidate for a team to take a big step forward after, you know, finally getting over the hump to nationals, taking their lumps at nationals, you know, a very disappointing bracket miss. And, uh, you know, really experienced players at the top end of their roster. Rich environment for youth players getting good rookies. Uh, I think that they have a lot of potential. And I think they're going to have one of the scariest D-lines in the country. Very impressive stuff from them this fall. How about how about Ohio State? Sure. I mean, this is, this is a quarter finalist last year. And, and I remember maybe, I remember talking to their coach who told me that this was the year. When I talked to him last year, he said, this is the year that they are going to be great. And they played pretty damn well at Nationals, so maybe that means big things are coming. Yeah, you, you bring back uh, Zach Braun, you bring back 
both Agamis. Uh, I think that the recruiting grounds at Ohio State are a little more fertile than people realize. So they bring in rookies that people don't know who end up being pretty good. Uh, so wouldn't be surprised to see some some solid recruits for them. Tim Harbody's back. I, I mean, there's there's something brewing at Ohio State. It is it is not accident. Chase Gregory. Uh, this is a solid team that I think has learned a lot about winning, and I think they're going to be. I think that they'll be able to contest that Pittsburgh team, who you know probably has a a better shot at making a deep run in nationals. I think that the the top of that region could be contested. That's an interesting take. I, I mean, maybe so. I feel like Pitt is in a peak year and is going to be thinking about championship, and I expect them to win the region still. But Ohio State's good. There's no doubt about it. Um, some other teams that I think could maybe make some noise. Georgia. Good team last year. Great defense. Grindy team. Got to improve the offense. But... Their big star rookie, probably the most talented recruit this year, Aiden Downey, coming out of uh, Grady High School in Atlanta, joining the team, could help them over that hump offensively. Uh, Tufts going to be really good this year. Don't forget, they went to Nationals last year. Nobody was really talking about them during the season, but then there they were at Nationals, getting past UMass. Um, Speaking of UMass, Tanner Johnson, back for a fifth year. Think about the fact that the two players who I would say are at the front of the player of the year conversation in the men's division, that's Joe White and Tanner Johnson, didn't go to nationals last year. That's pretty crazy. Are you sure? <laughs> it doesn't sound right. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, so those are some teams that I think uh, have a chance to make some noise this year. And uh, Keith, I know you put UCF on here, but I'm having a hard time seeing it. I got to be honest with you. I, I got I got to see the roster, but uh, I am hearing some rumblings that like Austin Kafarnis is back. Uh, they disappointed at the end of the year last year, so you know. And I I think you got a chance to actually see them in person at CCC, right? I didn't watch them play. I did not watch okay. them actually play a game, but um, they did not have a great showing. Yeah, I'm not going to put too much stock in in fall results. We've we've learned our lessons on that in the past, but uh, I think the Southeast is really interesting down the line, as 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 has been the case over the past few years for those teams on the fringes of like maybe bid earning. Uh, you know, if we're talking about a team like an LSU or a Georgia Tech or UCF, you know, who knows what what could happen. We've seen those Southeast teams come up. Uh, I think Georgia is going to be the class of the region, uh, but is the second best team in the region going to be good enough to get a bid? Could be UCF who does it. I'm also, I am with you on Tufts. I, I, I like this Tufts team. A lot of a lot of returning talent. Northeast kind of scary this year. New oh, England, yeah. I should say. New uh, England, yeah, got to no- get out of that club mode. I know. Northeastern. The Northeastern. We didn't talk about them. Mm-hmm. They return a lot of the a lot of the pieces of last year's Nationals team too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Ben Fields back. Matt Cook is back. Uh, they're going to be good. Who's the favorite in New England? I'm going to say Northeastern. I think that the public would probably say UMass. That's wrong. I want to see. I want. I want that proved before I'm going to put my money behind them. I mean, then I would. I would say Tufts. Man, the UMass talent looks good, but I, I think I'd have to say Tufts. I think I'd say Northeastern. Under, understandable. Good teams. Uh, oh, wait, Brown is obviously the answer. Oh, wait, yeah, duh, Browns. It, Browns <laughs> They're in their own category right now. But, I mean, look at that. that that's four realistic Nationals quality teams. How many bids are they going to get? It's going to be fun to watch this year. Um, let's look at the women's division. Who are some sleepers? Wait, wait before before we go. Sure. Can I, can, I do, can I also just say, though, that UCF, Adam Vinson was playing in the fall. Yes, and he's a great player, and that's why I'm concerned about their... Austin Gaines... They, also play. They have I mean, nice players, Keith, but they are really, really thin after they're like top five or six players. And I don't know that they have enough. I mean, they couldn't do it last year, and they they really they looked legit. I mean, they they put up good games early in the season at warm up, and then they couldn't good, couldn't get the job done at regionals. I mean, I don't know that this team, year's team is better than last year's, so I don't see it. 
Uh, take us through the women's division. Who are some sleepers? It, uh, we talked. We talked a little bit about a couple of teams that you know uh, I think are, are on the outside, but it's tough to figure out that middle tier of the division. Who's going to be there and who isn't? Uh, I think some potential teams to look at. Uh, Georgia is getting some early season buzz, uh, led by sophomore Marie Perivier, uh, but also junior Josie Veal. Uh, they've been recruiting well. Uh, they're athletic. Last year, they overperformed at Nationals. I don't think anybody really expected them to be able to hold their seed. They felt a little bit like a false team as the best team in the Southeast. But I think they're going to be uh, a pretty far margin ahead of any of the other teams in the region in the Southeast. I think that's going to allow them to focus more on competing nationally. Maybe we'll, after qualifying for nationals, we'll see them at some bigger tournaments so they'll get some bigger primetime matchups. But I think Georgia's a team to keep an eye on. But perhaps the buzziest team out of the fall is going to be Vermont. Uh, they get great results in New England. They get wins over the the other best teams in New England, although, I, I, again, cautions about the fall. But uh, you know they bring back sophomore Bethany Eldridge. They add Kennedy McCarthy, who's going to be one of the potential rookies of the year this year. Uh, some people had them on their universe lines coming into the season. Okay, so let's pause for a moment. Am I crazy to put Kennedy McCarthy on my universe line in the women's division? Crazy, no, but it's it's definitely ambitious. I mean, when I said that we could have an All-American rookie, I think Kennedy McCarthy's a potential candidate. Let me make Vermont. the case for you, okay? Yeah, go ahead. Kennedy McCarthy was far and away the best player at YCC this year. I mean, took that main team that nobody expected to do anything all the way to the final. And then was not just, you know, a starting club player, but was one of the better club players in the region for playing for Boston Siege, the second team out of Boston. And I think might have been their best player, their best player in the year that the siege goes to the nationals for the first time. Now, I think the case against McCarthy being on the top seven line is obviously a freshman Uh, B because of her role, at least on, you know, this club seasons team being a cutter, not doing as much throwing, maybe that's not quite this doesn't have quite the same carryover to to college if you don't have the big thrower who's able to put it out there for you. Uh, but I really think we are seeing a generational player, and I because and this is an important caveat because the depth at in terms of the very top players in the division this year is a little down. She made my list. You know that she wouldn't have made my list last year assuming that she was entering college with all the same accolades, you know, breakout player of the year in the club division. Um, but this year, because, you know, after Ann Worth and Claire Trope, you kind of go, well, who else? Uh, she made my list. And I, I think we're going to see big things from her in Vermont this year. And, and and the conceit of Universe Line is is picking who you basically think are the seven players who could win a point. So it's less about, you know, who's going to win awards, which I think has a lot of season long context that maybe this won't necessarily. So, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. There's a lot of reason to be hyped about Kennedy McCarthy. We just found out Vermont also got uh, Sarah Von Deep, who's a sophomore who's playing D3 last year. She's one of the best rookies in D3. Uh, now she's going to be a part of Vermont. I think they have a grad student from Syracuse. Who's go- I mean, they I, I, I've seen them in person. A team is huge. They're so tall. Like Kennedy McCarthy does not stand out when you're just like look it up, looking at them from across the line. Uh, they're crazy tall and athletic. So if they, you know, if Beth Eldridge can can be a thrower for them, if they if they have the tools to get the disc out to their athletes, they're going to be able to out muscle a lot of teams. And I think they're part of why that New England region is going to be maybe the best region in the country this year and one of the most exciting regions to follow. Uh, We've we've been through years of like the northwest and then the then the southwest. I think uh, I think the tide may turn to the east coast this year. Oh, the recruiting has been so good to those schools the last couple of years. So it doesn't it doesn't shock me. Yeah, I mean a bunch of the the top Seattle talent has been heading elsewhere. I mean you got Hazel Ostrowski at Tufts this year. She was one of the best players in the Seattle scene. Obviously. 
you you look at some of the big superstars of the past, they've all been heading out to Dartmouth and whatnot. So, uh, you know, the the tide may be turning. Uh, there there are a couple teams on the West Coast though who could be sleepers this year. Uh, how about Utah? Last year, I think we got we got on the BYU train a little early, but uh, Utah continues to reap the benefits of an increasingly strong scene in the youth area there. Uh, they've got a player who people are really excited about uh, in Kyra Kurzhenikova, whose name I can now spell. Uh, I'm, I'm really starting a I can spell Kyra K's <laughs> name club. We're just going to call her Kyra K, I'm pretty sure, for, for ease. But uh, I, I think this Utah team could be good. And the Northwest is a is a weird region this year. You know, I think that uh, UBC misses nationals last year. We don't know what to expect from them this year, if they'll be able to bounce back. Oregon looks like it could be a down year for them. Washington, I can, we, can I maybe you add them to the sleepers list, but like have we been like, oh, this is the year Washington's back for like three years now? Like at some point do we just do you just have to give up on them? Or is it like we keep getting there early? Because the talent still looks like it's there. They're still Sophie Johansson and Steph Phillips was one of the best rookies in in, in the division last year. They're getting Abby Hecko this year. Best player in They're high school national They're adding good grad students like they always do. But like, are, are people done with Washington? I don't know. They might win the region, though. Uh, heck of I know. Hecko, if you know. <laughs> uh, but they keep recruiting well. Uh, so, uh, you know, it could be an up year for Washington and Abby Hecko probably be a big part of that. I mean, she was probably one of the best seven players on the U24 team. And, and that's crazy. To start a freshman year as the youngest so, player on the team. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, Kenny McCarthy get hyped better for the rookie. The rookie of the year race might be one of the best things to watch in the women's division for all I know. Uh, it should be pretty hype. Before we um, get into more rookie stuff, um, uh, we've talked about women's podies. Let's talk about men's podies. I already mentioned Joe yeah. White and Tanner Johnson, but the list does not stop there. I mean, the, the list is long, and I'm probably missing players. Uh, Pittsburgh's Michael Ng. Brown's John Randolph. If Will Laurie gets back uh, after the injury and is playing at a level like he was last season, he's going to be in the mix uh, if Xander Cuisantice doesn't steal the, the throne from him. Uh, Dylan Lanier who feels like he just is constantly on the verge of just absolutely taking over. Um, Liam Searles Bowes from UNC. I, I feel like I could probably keep going. You know, one of the Texas guys is probably going to be on this list. Uh, a Quinn Finer, perhaps, from Colorado. There's a lot of players. Elijah Long was All-American first team two years ago. I, I know he didn't. He was second team last year, but, like, don't leave this man off this list. That's fair. That's fair. There's going to be some players who pop up on some of these other teams that we've been talking about. Seems, you know, seems like there's a lot of hype for Austin Von Olden right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, I will be surprised. Uh, but, well, who knows? But, you know, best player on Tufts, best player on Ohio State. You know, th- there's a lot of players who feel like they're in the mix. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that if Joe White plays at the level that he played at this club season and is healthy and plays. That is really important that he's the front runner, but it doesn't feel like it's a foregone conclusion. That's for sure. Uh, You know, I will say that last season when we got to see him for, you know, a tournament at Easterns, he was tremendously impressive, looked like the best player at the tournament. And, but again, we're going to need to see that for a whole year. And we really haven't seen him, have that monster college season yet because he's either been hurt or he's kind of played bad in a big spot. And we just haven't seen the full Joe white year. Like he had this club season for machine. Uh, I think you're probably right. I don't want to concede the point, but John Randolph as could be the favorite. Uh, I mean, Look at look at this man's career right now. Look what the, he was third in Pody voting last year. There were some people who wanted him to be second. He's a first team All American last year. He torched the field when it came to goal scoring. He's going to be the primary player on his team. Uh, I've ranted about how great he was during the club season, 
even if his role was not as expansive as Joe White's. Uh, Joe White has to share a lot of his production with other players on the team. His team doesn't make nationals every year. <laughs> yeah, I listen, I, I hear you, but I think Joe White is more prepared to be the guy who does it all than John Randolph is. And that's not a knock on John Randolph. It's just like we have to keep in mind that part of the reason he was so effective is that he was playing alongside the player who won player of the year, Mac Hecht. Sure. And again, I am not taking away from John Randolph. He's a tremendous player. He deserves to be on this list. He could well win it. But I don't know that yeah, he's younger. Like it's it I feel like he's a year away from winning that. Um not to say that he couldn't. He's obviously winning a lot. His teams win. That's a really good sign for a player. It, it means often that they're doing things more than we can even see on the stat sheet. Although he did put up 10 goals in a game, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> insane. Um, I mean, in isolation, who's better? I, he's unbelievable. Like in the end zone set, just good night. It's over. Uh, but I think... It could be tricky for him to find that transition into having to be more of a thrower, more of a, you know, kind of leading the offense instead of being a cutter in the offense. And I think that makes him not the favorite for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to, you and I are going to sit down and hammer out some odds. I think I want to see. And and let's not forget that, you know, Tanner Johnson at CCI last year. I mean, I know they miss nationals, but. He was a just a dominant force at you know in the middle of last college season. He was he was first team All American despite missing nationals last year. Michael and my protestations otherwise. But. Michael Ng is ha, has been great, has the potential to be the best two way player in this list. Um, Liam Searles Bowes, we we got a glimpse of the excellence last college season. Could he step into an even bigger role this year? There's a lot of people you can make a case for. Charlie. Keith. Could could Jordan Kerr win player of the year? I mean, it's different than being <sighs> the number one ranked team because you have because the postseason's so valuable. But it's, he was there we had four players last year who made all American without playing nationals last year, including Jordan Kerr. He would have to really go above and beyond and look dominant in every matchup. They they just don't play enough games. I think I think if if BYU was on their if like BYU was the number one ranked team at the end of the regular season and they have wins over the over the best teams that at nationals like if they're on their way to being the number one team and he looks like the best player, I think I can see you making the case for him. I don't think I will back you up on that case, <laughs> but I could see you making that. I, case. I don't like know. I can picture I, four months from now, you're like, look, Jordan Kerr was the best player on the field. For the best team, I it it's possible for all the same reasons we talked about them being potentially being the number one team at the end of the year, but I still think it's going to be hard to win a, an award like that when you know he's not going to play meaningful minutes in the postseason. It's just it, it sucks, but you know unless he goes so far above and beyond, which I don't think he has. You know he didn't last year. He, he was very good. But it wasn't like the dominant takeover performance of a Joe White or a Tanner Johnson. And part of that is because their team is so damn good. Uh, they spread it out. They, he doesn't have to do everything. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I'm skeptical that, that it could happen. I'm just, I'm just trying to find where the, where the line is here for you. Let's, let's see some games, you know. Let's see some sanctioned games. Uh, we should get our first look at BYU, usually at Santa Barbara Invite. Um, all right, let's talk rookies. We've already gotten into some of these names. Uh, I mean, maybe we've already talked about most of the the big women's names, Keith. You mentioned Sky Fernandez and Stacey Gaskill headed to Colorado. Uh, Alyssa Earhart going to Carlton, tr- tremendous player. Abby Hecko at Washington. Kennedy McCarthy at Vermont. Uh, Hazel Ostrowski going to Tufts. There's, I mean, look at these players. Uh, so much talent and multiple U24 players here. Yeah, and, and and I I think it's it's a deep class. Like it goes beyond this, 
But I, I think it would be hard to see somebody from outside of this group really stepping up. But, I mean, you could definitely continue down the list. You'd talk about Anagadu at UBC, or I mentioned Teresa Yu. She's going to be at UNC. Uh, there, there's a really talented group of players entering the division this year. Uh, but th- this is really the top end of the division, and I it is really unclear to me who is going to be the rookie of the year front runner. I think you'd probably put it on Hecko, but I could see an argument for McCarthy. Alyssa Earhart, though, is, is and Stacey Gaskill are, are right in that conversation. I think Earhart, it'll be difficult for her to stand out on such a deep Carlton team that has had has a long history of distributing their production. Uh, you know, Caitlin Ear is going to be in that backfield a lot too. And she was uh, maybe a unanimous pick for people's universal lines this year. Uh, so uh, maybe that's ambitious given how talented their team is. But her older sister's on the team too. I mean, the, the, it, it's tricky to figure out who the rookie of the year frontrunner is. But it's the conversation, the battle this year could be really intense. I guess there's a chance that Hecko runs away with it. But I think that's pretty slim. Over on the men's side, uh, I, good luck deciding who you think the best rookie is this year preseason. I, it, it is very impressive. Um, I mentioned earlier Aiden Downey going to Georgia. Certainly has a, a, a very high ceiling. And, you know, just all of the, 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 the tools that you would want to see in a player. He's, you know, he's tall. He can throw. Uh, he's confident. He can get downfield in the sky. People plays defense. Uh, just a, a really good all-around player. And I, I think there there is a little concern that he's a little too um, enamored with his own game. And I think he may come back down to earth a little bit in the college season, recognizing that all of a sudden defenders are a lot better. And maybe he can't get away with throwing no-look high-release forehands, which he was doing at YCC. Um, and, you know, looking like probably the best player on the team that was the best. I know they didn't actually, they were, they were co-champions, Atlanta, ATLians, but they were going to win that game, I think. Um, but then let's look elsewhere. Leo Gordon, who just led Berkeley to a high school national invite championship. He's at Brown. He's going to be getting big minutes. Uh, Danny Landisman, somebody who hasn't necessarily had that much hype as a youth player, but was a big part of the AUDL team in LA. He's moving from California to go to Colorado. Um, and this Colorado class is amazing. Uh, they also pick up Alan Learned from Atlanta and a host of other players. Um, and let's take a look here. Uh, ben Harris, Calvin Stoughton, Zach Hunter, Max Van Sickle. I mean, the, the, clearly the, the, the gems are Landisman and Learned and, and maybe Ben Harris, but th- this is a really, really good recruiting class for Colorado. And, um, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be excited to see how many, how many minutes they get. Uh, Tony Veneri mentioned him earlier. He'll be at Washington. Expect him to get run right away. I would probably think we'd see him on the D line at the handler position. Um, uh, Ben Dameron for UNC, a couple other quality North Carolina area players on that UNC team as well. Uh, this is just a really impressive class, and I think it could be just as exciting as the women's division and the race for Rookie of the Year. Absolutely. And uh, if there are people who haven't heard of Danny Landisman, I mean, to me, he's maybe the front runner to win this award. I mean, he is really a top-level player, I think, out of the box. And I think he's someone you can just put the disc in his hands and feel like we're going to get things done. And that that kind of plug and play ability on a team that's already good that has a clear system uh that gives you direction uh, i i think that landisman could be a real real contender and veneri i mean he'd probably be my second on this list uh i don't quite know how he's going to get utilized he's got a very particular skill set i mean he's a smaller player uh but extremely explosive very quick uh has really learned how to play within that within that that constraint uh just a bulldog around the disc i mean it's just handler defense right i feel like that's the obvious spot to put him yeah and if 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 they let him just just sick him on the best handlers all year i mean i don't know why he couldn't be in the depoting conversation i mean i think he's that good if you're look at this man's legs like (laughs) just jacked just jacked Uh, and 
he's a he's a good handler on his own. I mean, he's a two-way player. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's it's going to be a super competitive year, and I think we've been waiting for this class. I mean, we knew with a couple years ago, watching Aiden Downey and Danny Landisman carve it up, we knew that this class was coming, uh, and it, now it's arrived, and they could be a, a very impressive group. I mean, like in the women's class, this goes. There's a deep group behind these players. Uh, you know, a bunch of players who are good, maybe not going to be in the rookie of the year conversation, but players who are seated around the division, whether you're talking about Justin Burnett, who's like 16 or 17, but going to Emory made those crazy plays. People probably saw on Twitter, had a couple of insane plays or maybe in the plays of the year bracket. Uh, Kai Diversala, this big Seattle kid. He's at Tulane this year. You mentioned there were a couple other guys on that UNC team, Matt McKnight, Kevin Pignone. I mean, those are really good players who in other years might be in the conversation for rookie of the year, but probably just going to be outshot. Jock Nissen at Brown, uh, Noah Ball Burick also at Brown. I mean, there are a lot of good kids. AJ Larson in Minnesota. We could do, we could do this a whole podcast. So <laughs> like, there, a, there really is really a, a, a really talented group of players. Uh, so uh, get excited for rookie of the year conversation all year long. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some, some of the hype train teams and players. The, the teams that aren't really, you know, sleeper category, but that it's like, you know what? Keep an eye on this team. Perhaps we could see something from them. Stick around. It's Deep Look. Hey, this is Miranda Roth Knowles, and you're listening to Deep Look with Ulti World. Sis rules. Welcome back to Deep Look. Time to get the hype train rolling. Keith. Choo choo, baby. Send us down the tracks. Oh yeah. Uh let's 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 return to the men's division because I think there are uh some pretty exciting teams. Well, how about a trip to the to the northwest? Utah State, Oregon State. Two teams I think, you know, could hover around that bid range or bid stealing range. Garrett Martin at Utah State just wrapped up a year with Sockeye. He's like an all-region level player. They're getting a big freshman in DJ Sorensen uh from that Lone Peak program. Uh, they got a couple other good guys there. I mean, I think it's tough in the Northwest because there's like four or five teams. It's kind of like the Southeast in that way that are like right around the same level behind those top two of Washington and Oregon. Uh, so, you know, you look at Oregon State too, Drew Peter Schmidt's back, Quinn, Quinn uh, Biermeyer, they're like a real one-two punch uh, kind of team. So top heavy, but you know, they, they could be good. Uh, so it's going to be a tough region, but, you know, they sometimes get that extra bid from a gift from BYU. And these could be two of the teams that take it. I I am excited to see what comes of these Utah teams in general over the next few years as the program, the youth programs there are just so impressive and are sending great players out to these schools. Um, here's a couple that I, I think, you know, if you want to stay in the Northwest for a second, UVic. I mean, Victoria oh, yeah. low-key was really good last year and went to nationals courtesy i think they were they got the last bid right so courtesy of byu um and i expect them to be really good again you know dawson payson is back uh, they have multiple canadian u24 players they're coming off a year in which they went to nationals these are typically signs you know they're bringing back most of their top players of a team that could have a really good year and i think they're going to compete up at that top level this year with uh you know oregon washington as and BYU, of course, uh, as you know, top of the Northwest. And and let's let's I mentioned the Southeast when we talked about uh talked about Utah State, Oregon State, this competitive region. Southeast has got some interesting tools. I mean, we talked about UCF a little bit. Uh, what about LSU? I mean, this is a team that has that kind of core from Catholic high school back when they won uh, the high school national invite. Uh, but you know they have their Revere brothers uh, back for another year. You've got John Sims, who they've already started hyping up as a Callahan candidate. Uh, Matt Freeberg, uh, and I think that they continue to get solid recruits who maybe quite aren't at that level, but are going to help fill out the depth of this team. Uh, I, I, you know, I think this is a team that hasn't really gotten there yet. They've been talked about before. They've gotten the buzz before. So I think there's some cultural elements that kind of need to get straightened out for them to be successful. But the talent looks like it's there. And the 
second team in that region is not really clear. So that spot's up for grabs. LSU could be a team to watch. Well, remember that Catholic high school team that won high school national invite, sent all those players to LSU. Now they're all juniors and seniors. It's time for this team to actually show up. I feel like I hear more from the LSU folks about how good they are, how they're being overlooked, and how unfair the coverage is than I actually see them winning on the field. So it's time to actually show up and and be real and go win games rather than talk about how you're being disrespected. You've got the talent. You've got the opportunity in a relatively thin region, to be honest. And so let's see what they can do because they, they have the talent that was, you know, good enough to win a, a youth title and at the high school level. A lot of those top players are at this on this team and capable of being uh, a team that can go out there and compete for a bid. Why not? How about Indiana, by the way? Speaking of teams that have been getting good young, young players, uh, Indiana went to the Great Lakes final last year. They got smoked by Michigan, but I was coming off of, a, of an upset win over Chicago. Uh, obviously, the Great Lakes is still just a, it's a terrible region. Uh, Michigan is good, and then it's kind of pretty bad after that. But Indiana is a team, I don't know if they're ready for the, making the leap this year, but this is a team that I think will go to nationals sometime in the next two years. Uh, maybe three. And uh, there's just a lot of good talent coming out of that Indiana youth scene that's starting to fill the coffers of this Indiana University team. I I like that pick. Uh, I I don't know if they have have, uh, Kip Curtis back, but man, that kid was hype last year. I kind of don't uh, think so, but the Henderson brothers are there. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know about Kip Curtis. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, if, if he is back, they could make a run this year for a bid. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, and certainly, you know, in a region like that, they could certain they could be a sleeper that that knocks them. I just off. don't think they can knock off Michigan. You know, yeah, I, I, I don't I think, think they're good fair. enough for that. So they're going to have uh, to earn a bid to 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 go to nationals. But I, I think it could, could happen. And you know, how about the AC? Got a deep AC this year, every year, as, which has been the case the past few years. Uh, and I think that's going to make it tough to get out. You know, we talked about, uh, obviously at the top UNC, NC state, we we've gone this whole podcast without talking about the people who want to be talked about the most and pretend they don't, which is UNC Wilmington, uh, the team that doesn't care about the media, but also tweets us every time they're not included in anything. Uh, but yep, obviously really strong CCC, uh, they could be for real. If you want to get on the hype train, I mean, this is this is your chance because they brought they have really talented young players from last year. Connor Russell's back as the leader of that team, and they seem really dedicated to getting back to nationals after the flubs that they've had. Uh, but they'll have to contend with like Johnny Malks back healthy at William and Mary with Gus Norbaum. I mean, could could a rebranded William and Mary team be? legit in a region where we've seen upsets basically like every year for forever absolutely you think about it this team it's a a flawed comparison but just stick with me for a second they are last year they are this year's golden state warriors killed by injury basically just had to say you know what we're just going to develop this year where we you know but we know we're going to be back this is their year to come back there's, I mean, it is realistic to think that they could go to nationals this year. Don't forget, they went to nationals two years ago. They're legit. Those two guys are really good. I, I, I mean, we'll have to see how it plays out because it is a very deep region. And UNC Wilmington does look like they're for real and that they're back. They clearly have been putting in the work to end this nationals drought. And that's on top of the teams that, you know, you typically are seeing right now, UNC and NC State. Uh this is a, an extremely impressive region yet again. I, I don't know if I'm on the Wilmington hype train, but I, I will sign up for the Cole Feltman hype train. I think that guy, that gets good. And uh, if UNC Wilmington's good, it's going to be both because he's playing well and it's going to open up the chance for him to get into some award conversations. I think Wilmington has what it takes. I mean, 
the 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 knock would be that they are so dependent on the deep game that they when teams are ready for it they won't be able to kind of keep the offense moving but they looked quite impressive at ccc and yes i know it's the fall and all the caveats but this is a much better team uh, overall effort both offensively and defensively than we've seen from wilmington in a couple of years well the, the word i hear heard from ccc was that they were uh you know getting back to the old wilmington oh yeah antagonistic style of play and when that's working, it's a great tool for them. It's probably going to help them feel like they're, you know, united and on brand in a kind of a me against the world sort of thing. But when it doesn't work, it, I think it's really hard to get out of a funk. And I think if, if your team is struggling and you've built yourself up on kind of being brash, it's really hard to support your teammates when you're doing that sort of stuff. So uh, I, I wonder how this team will hold up when, when the going gets tough, especially at regionals, I mean, that's where the, the pressure is really mounted. And, you know, if this team can pull it off, uh, the talent certainly seems like it's there. That doesn't seem to be the question. Well, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, they've had some good moments in the past couple seasons and it hasn't really worked out. So, but, you know, don't, for, don't forget, they had a brutal injury last year with Rick Henninghausen going out and, and missing the postseason. I mean, that, that really hurt them. Um, He's not back, so they're going to have to live in that world without him anyway. But they look much more composed offensively this year. And they just got a lot of quick scores, both on Hux and on, you know, we saw them run Dominator. We saw them run a bunch of different things. And, you know, Brown was the team that was able to to beat them after losing to them earlier in the tournament at CCC. And Brown started taking away the deep game. And that's that's what did it. But... Uh, I, I do think Wilmington looks like a, like a, a legit team that could earn a bid. All right, let's 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 shift over to the women's hype train here because uh, I already talked about Bailey Shigley. Uh, I'm just a, a tremendous playmaker. I think she's going to have an expanded role on Colorado. I think Colorado is going to be really good this year, and I think you're going to see. I, I almost think there should be like we might have to do an unofficial sophomore of the year because freshman of the year last year was so contentious. We had like, we ended up doing four all rookie teams, I think in the superlatives article. And I mean, I think it, you could, let's track those players. How do they, who gets better? Uh, how do they stack up over the course of the year? Because you know, you look at her, you look at Georgia, we talked about Marie Perivier, uh, should be a very competitive year for them. Uh, another player I'm, I'm really hyped on Maggie Walker or Margaret Walker, excuse me, uh, at Wisconsin. Breakout player of the year last year, just a uh, tremendous thrower who I think is only going to get better. I'm curious to see what Wisconsin looks like this year. I know they've got some players back like Jackie Welsh, uh, Caitlin Rowling, but they uh, also lost some key pieces. I think that's going to put a lot of workload on Walker. Uh, But Wisconsin could be really good this year, uh, and I think Walker could be a big part of that. Yeah, I think they're a, a, a perfect team that's set to outperform because they have such a great player leading the way. Um, and it's always a question of, you know, do you have enough pieces down down the way? But remember, they were number eight last year in the final power rankings. Uh, I, I think they could be a, a team that still sits up in that range because of the leadership of Walker. Um, here's a team that I'm curious about, Keith. What do you think about Stanford? It, it feels like they've been out of the spotlight for a little while, but don't forget that they bring back Hallie Dunham for a fifth year. I, I mean, it feels like she's been here. She's one of those players that feels like she's been here forever, and that's because she was good as a rookie. Basically, that if you're here for five years, it feels too long. Uh, but she's going to be probably one of the best handlers in the country, and it's coming off a, another year of elite club. It's I think that Stanford has a shot, especially given that the Southwest feels really wide open. Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens in the Southwest. You know, Cal Poly Slow should be good again. Um, you know, UCSD should be good again, although they're going to, of course, take a step back, losing probably their top two players this offseason. But, uh, I mean, such a good foundation there now after winning the championship and kind of like learning what it takes to play at that level. That that typically stays around as long as you have enough talent to sustain it. And I think they do. I think there's enough there's enough pieces there to keep them good. Uh, who's your Southwest front runner right now? I think I'd have to say UCSD. Uh, obviously, losing a ton, but they they have some really good players who 
didn't get a lot of shine last year. Uh, and I think the the rookie twins last year of Lauren and Ava Hanna are going to be able to step up into bigger roles this year. Um, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter about that throw uh, that in against Carlton that Dean Alamelic had the crazy layout for on double game point, like catch of the year. And there was a big ensuing conversation about, yeah, but what about the throw? Is this like one of the throws of the year? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Lauren Hanna who throws it. <laughs> Sometimes I get the twins confused, but I think it's Lauren. Who throws it? Uh, and people are saying that that might be a throw of the year in college division. So, uh, you know, there, there are players ready to be in a bigger role for that UCSD team. And I don't know that anybody else quite in the re- slow, I think, is probably your next best bet. Talia Ward uh, is going to be slinging it all year long. Uh, so, slow might be your next bet. But it, I think it's going to be really competitive. And I think you're going to get to regionals and still feel like there's like four or five teams who could take what I would guess would be two bids to national, something like that. Well, it'll be fun to see. Um, lots more to get to. I mean, we're just scratching the surface here, but stay tuned for the rest of the 12 days of College Ultimate. We'll also have our primers out next month. College coverage begins in earnest. Uh, I think our first covered tournament will be the Florida Winter Classic, and we'll have video coverage coming out from at least Santa Barbara Invite, perhaps Carolina Kickoff as well. So uh, another big college season coming up. Can't wait. Uh, it's... In some ways, it's like, oh, we have we have month of college ultimate in front of us. But like, I also know that we're going to be doing our like regionals preview show. It's going to feel like it went by in a blink of an eye. So every time, uh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to to picks this year. I don't know why I'm looking forward, considering <laughs> my recent track record. But you know, club season's got me back back on the wagon. So uh, I'm 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 gonna try and get it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll bring the beat Charlie challenge to college season. Ooh, I, I like it. I beat ninety percent of people in the club season, Keith. Uh, club national is very impressive. Gotta try to. I'm gonna try to win it all the time. Um, all right. So coming up on our subscriber only segment, we're talking all region and how to fix it. Next week, the next two weeks, as we get into the holidays, uh, we will have the decade in review shows and we've got a lot more all decade content coming out soon but this will kind of kick it off here on deep look we've got some great guests and uh, hopefully you will have a chance to listen to those over the holidays and uh, since this is kind of our last standard show of the year i'd just like to say happy holidays everybody enjoy some time off enjoy some time with your friends and family and uh, looking forward to sitting back down here with you all in the new year as we get ready for a brand new decade in 2020. For Keith Rayner, I'm Charlie Eisenhood saying so long, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Deep Look. Deep Look.